Alright, welcome to the Life of Learning podcast. I'm Justus Frank, and you'll have to forgive me a bit today. I have got a bit of a hay fever, and it has made me somewhat sniffly. We'll see how we go, but uh, was, uh, there was some interesting news this morning in terms of... Well, it was quite sad news, really. Uh, a friend of mine, her brother, got into a car accident, and it just brought home, I guess... Again, some of the the risks um, that are involved, um, while I don't personally know them, and this is not speaking directly to that situation because I, I don't know what fully happened. But but I was wondering how do again how do humans learn? And often it seems that we need to be reasonably close to a situation to actually learn from it, um, and it needs to have personally affected us in some sort of way. I guess it needs to become very real to us um, before we take certain things into account and we actually fully understand and grasp the risks involved. And so I'm just wondering, is there any way like, to really get around this instead of having to go through and experience all the risks and, and, you know, and the pain for ourselves, can we fully learn from other people? Can we learn and can we have healthy and good lives without having to have people manage our safety for us? Can human beings, individuals, manage their own safety? And so these are all, I think, interesting questions. You know, do we need to have experienced the the fallout of a risky behavior? And this brings to mind a conversation that I had a few days ago, or I think it might have even been yesterday, where I was talking to a lecturer uh, who was also an engineer, and a civil engineer. He talked to me about, about his research, which was into the safety of um, buildings, um, particularly earthquake safety. And of course here in Christchurch, uh, we had a major earthquake back in 2011, and I guess one of the positive sides of having had this earthquake, it showed up, which buildings were earthquake safe and which ones weren't and it obviously also destroyed the buildings that weren't earthquake safe um so in that sense and i'm using this in a very narrow sense obviously um you know it sorted out some some things in terms of buildings that we want to keep and um obviously the buildings that we now build here in christchurch we want to actually make them more earthquake safe and so people have taken on board uh the research uh, regarding how to make buildings safer. But it's interesting, uh, he mentioned that the uptake of his ideas around the rest of the country wasn't quite as strong. And he particularly noted out the city of Wellington, which, even after the Christchurch earthquake, the uptake of his ideas regarding the safety of buildings and uh, earthquakes wasn't actually taken that seriously by Wellingtonians. It was only after there was another earthquake um, in a place called Kaikoura, uh, which is, well, it's not exactly halfway between uh, Christchurch and Wellington, but it's still closer to Christchurch, but it's, but it's closer to Wellington, and the effects of that earthquake were actually felt in Wellington as well, and there was some damage to some buildings. So it was only after this second earthquake uh, a few years back that the Wellingtonians actually started taking a bit more of these ideas regarding earthquake-safe buildings more seriously and started 
implementing some of the ideas that he'd been researching into the way that they were building. And this morning as I was thinking about all of this, uh, I got into a bit of a, went down a bit of a rabbit hole I guess, uh, looking at risk compensation. And the fact that as human beings we live at the edge of our risk limitations irrespective of whether we have safety equipment or not. Safety equipment in and of itself can often be this this effect that makes us feel safer but then in turn actually makes us act more recklessly. And there's many examples of uh, this. For instance, one of the examples that I came across was the fact that um, American football is actually often a more dangerous sport than rugby. Um, even though in rugby they don't wear as much padding and, and helmets and all the rest of it, there is actually an increased likelihood of injury. It was interesting that, that after the introduction of helmets in the 1950s in American football, um, it did reduce some of the head damage, but then in turn it was responsible, there was a tripling of neck injuries and a doubling of deaths from cervical spine injuries. And, you know, while reduce the risks in, in one area in terms of head damage, this perceived uh, thing within us that we're like, okay, well now we're more safer, and so now we can actually play harder, and now we can make bigger hits actually means that then there's there's more likely injury to other parts of our body. And so this is this is quite a quite a fascinating thing. And obviously one of the big discussions is around things such as seatbelts and cars. Um, there's various bits of research on it and some uh, seem to account for this effect uh, better than others. Um, it asks the question, are mandatory seatbelt laws actually for the best of drivers and there is some ambiguity about this because in wearing a seatbelt um, people feel safer and so as such they'll also take more risks with the way that they drive their cars and so in terms of when we increase the risk we are uh, yeah we can get into accidents and often more serious accidents it's been interesting looking at some of the things that have happened uh, that people have tried in, in various, uh, particularly in European cities, where, um, for instance, they've removed traffic signs, traffic lights, and things like that. And it actually has made things more safer in these towns, and has uh, made traffic flow go faster, and a variety of, of things like that. Which seems counterintuitive to us, but the fact is that when we take away these extra safety precautions, then people actually become more aware, I guess, of the risks involved in, in driving a car, for instance, that when drivers are trusted to not kill themselves and each other, they actually do so, um, that we are more cautious when we realise, when we realise that the risks that are involved and, and what could possibly happen in terms of uh, what could possibly happen if we end up um, crashing and we don't have all this extra safety equipment around. And again, this is in a variety of things. For instance, also in uh, skydiving, uh, the deaths um, related to skydiving haven't actually gone down, um, even though the safety equipment has improved quite dramatically. And this is because, again, people take more risks. The more 
the more safety equipment there is, the more people play at the limits of what is risky. And so I found it really fascinating when looking at what's going on around here and, and the roads around here. Um, so in my area where I live, uh, they've converted all, all the, the speed signs from 80 kilometers an hour or 70 kilometers an hour down to 60 kilometers an hour. And again, it was because of safety concerns that they did this. But again, this has uh, been very frustrating and I've talked to quite a number of people who've found this very controlling and and quite ridiculous, uh, including me. I, I don't think it's actually progress to say that we will slow down um, cars. As, as such, we seem to be being regressive rather than progressive in terms of you know, I think we should be getting around more efficiently and faster. Um, this has kind of been the general trend of where technology has been going, and to then go back the other direction in terms of um, becoming less efficient, uh, slower, um, all these sorts of things, I don't think it's necessarily helpful. But yeah, so for instance, in um, the UK, um, there were various initiatives to actually remove the white lines from the middle of roads and and this was done to reduce accidents and that to actually save lives and this is again because research has shown that removing the white lines um, brings about uncertainty and then vehicles actually cut their speeds um, in this case by vehicles cut according to one bit of research vehicles cut their speeds by 13 percent um, simply from removing the white lines. There's a really, really excellent article, um, and I'll link to it. It's from The Guardian, and it's an opinion piece, but it's called The Removal of Road Markings is to be Celebrated. We are safer without them. And it's by a guy called Simon Jenkins. And he states the case that, actually, if we have the freedom to assess risk for ourselves, that will actually make us safer. That we end up slowing down, um, we end up actually looking at other motorists in the eye, you know, trying to seek eye contact uh, with other road users to actually help negotiate our way through through the streets, um, so to speak. And this is actually what make us makes us safer because we are more aware of the other other cars on the road rather than simply focusing on traffic lights and lines we instead begin to focus more on the other drivers and the other cars and looking at what they are doing rather than looking at what the traffic lights are doing rather than looking at what the lines on the road are doing. This is kind of a really interesting thing. I find this quite fascinating. And I'm a big lover of of freedom and I think, you know, the, the writer of this article uh, is, is very right when, when he says, you know, um, that you know, drivers should be trusted not to kill themselves and each other, and assuming that we need constant protection is the mark of a controlling state. And so, this this idea that we need to, that someone needs to care constantly for my safety and to make me safe, and that someone else knows exactly how to make me safe or how I want to be safe, is this idea that, that we kind of have, it is a very, I guess, a nearly mothering type instinct. And, and again, it's, uh, you know, 
infants when they come into the world, yes, they, they certainly need our protection, they need parents to care for them and to keep them safe from the dangers of the world. The aim is for a child to actually grow up and become independent and to not have someone constantly looking after them and deciding what is safe for them and what is not safe for them. The point is for a person to become independent and autonomous and actually able to decide, you know, what is safe for them and what isn't safe for them. And so this is why I would love a cutback um, of the various regulations that we have, um, particularly on, on, on traffic and roads, because this will give us a greater sense of personal responsibility and give us the personal responsibility to look after our own lives and to manage the risks that we take within our own lives um, and to do so more seriously. And here's me being a little bit controversial, but I do do think that at the end of the day, the greatest evil that is often perpetrated on this earth is from people trying to help, where people feel it is their job to look after someone else. Uh, especially when they feel that it is their job to look after someone who has the capabilities of actually being independent and being autonomous, and yet they somehow don't feel that that person can be trusted. This is the way that all governments and other a lot of other organisations and institutions sort of work, is that we do things for what's called the greater good. This has perpetrated more damage and death and destruction than any other really idea in the history of, of, of people. It's this idea that we must help someone else and that we don't trust that person to look after their own uh, well-being. Um, that we don't trust their sense of personal responsibility. And ultimately, I think that this is a type of lie. I, I think that the more that we trust people's personal responsibility the more personal responsibility people will actually have and that they won't use their freedom for evil. And in fact, our perceptions that they do need to be controlled is actually what produces evil in the first place. Okay, that got a little bit deep, but yeah. And people will say, you know, well, okay, but if I don't control this other person, if I allow them to take personal responsibility, you know, what about... What about young people such as, uh, you know, we often have a lot of what, what I call boy races or people who, young people who drive very fast cars and often do so very recklessly. The problem is partially again created because we don't, young people don't have this sense of personal responsibility. Um, that they haven't grown up with this sense of personal responsibility of being able to take those risks in, um, well, in lower risk um, environments. For instance, I learnt to drive both through driving uh, the tractor on my uh, dad's farm and also driving a car when I was helping to get in the hay. But I learnt things regarding the road um, even before I was able to drive a car by, well, even by crossing the streets um, and obviously just moving around town and then also when I was biking. And it's these incremental stages where we are exposed to more and more risk that I think 
is a positive thing. As we grow up, as we become more independent, we become more able to manage our own risk. I think that this perception that that we can't let that go, we can't let the final responsibility actually rest on, on, a, on an individual citizen, where people feel that they still need to control other people's lives um, to make sure um, that the risks don't fall to them. But at the end of the day, I think the way to manage risk is actually to look at the control that you have over your own life and manage the risks within your own life rather than seeking to control other people. Because in doing so, and constantly managing somebody else's safety, you are not actually developing that person's um, own personal sense of what it means to actually develop uh, an understanding of risks and of safety. So, exactly, I'm trying to figure out what is the rule that is kind of at play. What's the principle behind all of this? And see what you think of this. Um, but it seems, like to me, that if you want to make things safer as such, you would decrease the amount of regulation, you would decrease the amount of extra safety things. Um, and that way people take more personal responsibility and they... Um, yeah, they, they lower their speeds, they, they drive more carefully, basically because they don't want to die. Um, but if you do want to access higher speeds, then yes, you, you can introduce some safety equipment that, that people can make use of. Um, for instance, like airbags or seatbelts. And we can particularly see this in things like racing cars. Racing cars have high amount of safety equipment that come with them because they are designed for people going very very fast speeds so the point is that yeah the faster you want to go the more the higher risk you want to be able to take the more safety gear you include um, but in terms of just lowering the speed limit I don't think that's actually going to make things safer um, it just makes people more reckless. Um, and so we have these two things at play. And I think, you know, there, there are times where we do want to be more reckless. And we don't want to be as careful. And I think, you know, safety gear is, is good for those situations. Um, but we need to be very specific about what we actually want. And I think if people's aim is for people to not be so reckless the actual best way of doing that is taking away regulation and extra traffic things and stuff like that the key thing is that uh, those safety features that people can access is that they are personal in some sense um, they're not just outside controlled um, they have far more power when you have direct access and in other words you have the choice to put the seatbelt on. You have the choice to buy a car that has airbags. Even you choose to drive on a road because it has certain uh, safety features. Me being very favourable towards the free market, it would be interesting to see if, uh, if our roads did become a truly free market uh, place, that what road features uh, customers would actually want and what, what they would actually seek out rather than the perceptions of what councils think um, and governments think that people should have.
So yeah, tell me what you think about all of that. I find it uh, a really, really fascinating um, subject. Again, have, have a quick read. I'll link some articles as well um, if you are interested regarding um, these sorts of thoughts. So again, um, this has been a tricky... Uh, this has certainly been a bit of a uh, tricky uh, podcast and it doesn't help that I'm not feeling so well. Um, so hopefully I made some sort of sense but again, it's been very interesting for me to think through, and I hope you enjoyed it too. So with that, thanks a lot, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks. Bye.